Jesus, we just come right now with arms open to receive your word. Holy Spirit, I ask that you remove all of me this morning so that your voice will be louder. Anything that I say this morning, Lord, that's not of you, may it fall away. But the things you want to sow into our hearts, may they be sown and may they catch on fire, Lord, to grow us, to teach us, and to let us operate in more of who you are. In your beautiful name, Lord, we pray. Amen. All right. I'm going to ask for some grace this morning because I need to speak about grace and I want to unpack some things and I might, um, I might upset some people with the way that I'm going to explain this. I want to ask that you'll hear me all the way to the end and then we can talk. I want to open a dialogue this morning. I want to open up um, the ability for us to converse, to have conversation, more and more conversation about God. I think that when we preach and when we speak about Jesus, it should encourage us to want to know more about Him. It should encourage us back into a conversation from into Him, not away from Him. So if we find ourselves getting upset and wanting to wrestle with one another, we're actually stepping away from Him, not back into Him. The Scriptures should lead us back into Jesus. So I want you to think about that when you're having a conversation with a friend who might not see things the way you see it or a, a family member. The Scriptures should lead you back into Christ, not away from Him. So we shouldn't be wrestling and fighting about Scriptures. We should be with excitement in our hearts, discussing them and wanting to pull more out. Does that make sense? So this morning, I want to I wrestle a few things and I want to lay a bit of a foundation so that I can, I can move into what it is I feel God asking me to speak on this morning. I spoke last week on faith and faith being the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. And I spoke about Gideon and uh, the, the, um, who Gideon was and he stepped into what God had for him, that there was a faith that stirred up in Gideon which called him into more. And this morning I want to I wanna go through a few different things and I also want to dismantle something that I've been hearing the last few weeks. I'm not normally one to um, find a teaching that is, is broken and then spend time harping on it because I don't think we, that's how we're going to actually bring people into freedom. There's a thing that I once heard, I think it was on Facebook, um, I probably read it, but it was a, um, that bank managers, when they're learning how to pick a counterfeit note, they don't study all the counterfeits. They study the real thing, right? Because once they understand what the real thing is, they can know then when a counterfeit comes in because it doesn't look like the real thing. And I want to do that this morning, but I do need to briefly highlight what it is I want to dismantle, what it is I want to pull down, and, I, and, and, then, and then what we can build on top of that. Another freebie I'll throw out as well. I'm giving out freebies. If, if somebody in your world, if somebody in your life is only dismantling and not building, then you have to really question if that's from God. Jesus was somebody who always acted in redemption. His goal was to redeem a situation, to redeem a people. He wasn't to just dismantle for the sake of dismantling. He pulled things down so that he could build back up. What we have today is everybody on Facebook is an expert. Everyone is an expert. I can be an expert in just about anything. But what we need to start asking God is, what are you building? If you see somebody in your life tearing down, tearing down, tearing down, tearing down, we have to start to ask, what are you building? If this is of God, God is redemptive God, how is he redeeming it? 
How is he rebuilding it? How is he recentering it? How is he replacing it? So for me, when I'm, I'm looking and I, I have recently, as I've said before, turned Facebook off my phone because it was starting to upset me because I saw a lot of people dismantling things, particularly in the church, dismantling the church. And what grieved my heart was that not many people are building back up. And I sat with a, a church leader during the week and he, he was in this place and I just felt the Spirit of God just come on me and with tears I said, bro, we need you in this time to be building. We need you not to be tearing down, but to be building what God is building, to be redeeming a people. So when we speak about the church, of course, we want to start to wrestle what's taking place, what is in here that shouldn't be in here. But what are we rebuilding? What are we replacing it with? What is God actually laying down? Does that make sense? Is that okay? So I want to wrestle this thing of grace. I want to tackle this this thing that I think we've had for so long in the church that has been an over-representation of grace, an overstretch of grace, where we've been sitting in this understanding that I can do just about anything that I want to do because the grace of God covers me and I'm loved and I am, I am whole. Now, there is some truth to that, but there's also some ill doctrine to that as well. I've been speaking the last few weeks and I've been praying and asking God, am I being too heavy-handed? Am I being too further, too uh, forward um, in the way that I've been pushing about clean hands and pure hearts, in the way that I've been pushing about sacrifice, in the way that I've been saying it's at the end of yourself we find Jesus. And in my petition to him to say, God, do I need to go back and fix this? I was rebuked to say, this is where we're going. So I thought, then how do I clear up what it is, because the moment you preach pure hands and clean hearts, someone says to you, yeah, but isn't that works? Or the moment we preach, hey, it's at the end of yourself, they go, yeah, but the grace is that God loves me. So we have to begin to unpack and understand what is the grace of God and what is this thing? Can I go and live a life that I want to live and I get to the end and, well, it's all well and good because, Jesus, you loved me. Because when I read the Scriptures, when I read all of the, the New Testament coming out of the Old Testament, we can't even touch the Old Testament without understanding because it's too scary. But when you come into the New Testament, I see Jesus asking people to present themselves before Him. I see Jesus asking people to operate in who He is, to live out from His kingdom, live out from the sphere of who He was. That's what I see the, the, the Scriptures saying. I see Jesus constantly challenging us to lay down ourselves, constantly asking us to give over all that we are so that he can give us all that he is. That's what I see the scripture of Jesus. So I want to give a quick, a quick synopsis of grace because it's not my main point. I want to go into something else. But we have to understand the old Adam and Eve in the garden are in the presence with God. They are in the place that God had created for them. They are in the glory. They, they commit an act of sin. They eat of the tree. They leave what God had asked them to do. They now come out into the world. Then there's a law given, and I'm going to give a very quick overview of the laws. There's a law given by Moses. Then the Levitical priesthood takes the law given by Moses, and they expand that law. So now we have this incredibly large list of rules that we're supposed to complete. This is for the ancient Jews that they were supposed to complete in order to come back into the presence with God. So they now had this long laundry list of rules, things they could do, things they couldn't do in order to make it okay for them to now be in the presence of God. Does that make sense? 
That was the law. That was what they were under. Okay. Then along comes Jesus and Jesus says, I want to come by the grace of God. By the grace of God, I'm going to come and I'm going to freely allow you back into the presence with God without having to commit anything but give yourself to me. Okay, so now what was supposed to be earned, we now can come freely back into the garden, back into relationship with the Father. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to do anything. That is called salvation. I've now been saved by Him. Okay, I've been brought back in by Him. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. So Jesus bankrupts heaven, as people say. He, he becomes poor so that we could become rich. Is this making sense? You're going, yep, I learned this 10 years ago. We need this because when I make the next point, it makes it very important for us to understand this. Because what was happening was there was this law that was given. There was this task that was asked of the people. And David explains it in Psalm 14. He says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who really seek after God. But they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. David understood that the law that was given, the law that was ex expressed out by the Levitical priesthood and by Moses could not be met by man. You and I couldn't obtain what we needed to to get back into the presence. That's why we needed a saviour. If I save Matt from drowning, it's because he couldn't do it on his own. I had to swim out and get him. We couldn't do it on our own. That's where we came to. That's grace. The grace of Jesus is that he allowed us back into the position we were removed from without us having to do anything. Does that make sense? Yes, everyone gets that. That's the grace of God. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything. He will bring you back into the presence. The word there is, is charis. It's the, the Greek word 5485. And it means gracious as a manner or act literal, abstract, concrete, figurative or spiritual, especially the divine influence upon the heart and its, and its reflection in the life. Now, the Bible says that the Spirit will convict our hearts of sin, right? And it brings us back that that conviction of the Holy Spirit is what brings us to want to repent before God and come back into Him. That word, that repentance is the grace of God. That's what God has done. He said, you can't live it by yourself. You can't do it by yourself. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you that the life you're living is wrong and I'm going to show you a better way. That's the grace of God. That's salvation that brings us in to Him. I love it. Some of your faces are like, Ben, really? <laughs> we know. We get it. Why is this important? Because it's important because we begin to distort now is the place we begin to distort what that means. That place was the beginning of salvation. That was the move. Grace was the move from the old covenant, the old way of living, now into the new way of living. Jesus, Jesus explains it like this. He says, No one puts new wine into old wineskin. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. What Jesus was highlighting there was a transition from the law 
the broken system that we could never ever obtain to into grace, the new system that brings us freely back into him. Okay, this isn't, the the wineskin wasn't the way we gathered together or the way we gathered around a meal instead of a a one person talking. That's not what Jesus was saying. He wasn't saying the wineskin, we have to keep changing it up. Jesus is saying, I already changed the wineskin from law into grace. We now live in the freedom of grace. So God transitions a people from one system, grace, into the new system. That's the beginning of your Christian walk. When you were born again, when you were saved by grace, you came through that transition into the fullness of God, into who he is, into what he now has for us. That's the start. That's where it's beginning. The grace of God is where we take off from. Lord, I could have never, ever done this without you. Now I'm in this. So grace is not the opportunity for us to stay in our mess. Grace is the beginning of our race, not the end. Grace allows us to have a standing point to say, now from this place I live out. Grace isn't I get to go and do and be whoever I want because Jesus loves me so much that he's going to bring me in. That is a broken understanding and a broken model of grace. Boundaries are a freedom, not a restriction. When someone, when, when Sean tells River he's not allowed to go outside the front gate because the road's on the other side, that's a freedom, not a restriction. But sometimes in our childhood, in our misunderstanding, we feel, oh, dad, dad doesn't want me to have fun. No, dad doesn't want you to get hit by a car. It's a freedom, not a restriction. So when we start looking at the scriptures, when we start understanding what Jesus asks us to do and not do, we have to start seeing it from the lens of these are freedoms, not restrictions. I don't want to go and do those things because now I'm seeing them as a freedom, not as a restriction. The Under the old system, under the old wineskin, they saw it like this, and this is what we have to begin to wrestle, especially in the Western church, is that they saw the old system being, if I complete this laundry list of rules, one day I will be allowed back into the kingdom. One day I will be granted entrance back into relationship with the Father. But the new system that Jesus says, the new wineskin, which we see all throughout the New Testament, is the kingdom has come. Not the kingdom will one day come. The kingdom is here now that we get to live out of that place now. We are not waiting to go to heaven. That's the old wineskin. That's the old system. That's the legal model. I'm not sitting here going, man, I can't wait for heaven because Jesus says it's already here. You're already in the kingdom. When you get saved, you got entrance back in to relationship with the Father. Us sitting and waiting, going, one day heaven is going to be amazing. It will be, but you're also already in it. Matthew 3 verse 1 says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4.17, For that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark 1.15, Jesus saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. The Jews began to understand that old system, that old model where I had to live up to a level of expectations to get me into the kingdom, that is now finished because the kingdom of God is at hand. So it's now the opposite. So we go, yes, I'm already in the kingdom. I'm already saved. I'm already brought in. Yes, 
But now there's something to do from that place as we live out of the kingdom, as we live out of that place. Luke 17 verse 20 says, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would would come, Jesus answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of God is in the midst of who? Us. So now we have to understand and shift from a position to go, one day I'm going to get to be in heaven. No, the kingdom of God is at hand in the midst of us. That we read that scripture, which I've said from the pulpit many, many times, that in in Matthew 18, 20, where it says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of you. That's the kingdom of God in the midst. So when, when the Bible says that we become a temple of the Holy Spirit, we become the temple of God. When we step into a situation, the kingdom of God is where? In our midst. So when Jess and I, when Jess and I begin to look at a situation that we're facing, we begin to pray, we get to pray from an authority from the kingdom of heaven. So now when we say, when, when Jesus says, pray that heaven will come to earth, in earth, on earth as it is in heaven, I had to think that through, on earth as it is in heaven, that's because you and I bring the kingdom, we bring the realm of God into every situation in which we step into. So now we get to operate as a kingdom people in an earthly world. So when we go out the doors, we're carrying with us the thing that people think they're waiting for. We're carrying with us the rule and governance of Jesus inside us that we allow to flow out from us does that make sense so when tanya and debs go to the streets to pray for people when they go to bring something to them they go in the authority of the kingdom of heaven when they lay their hands they lay with the authority of the kingdom of heaven flows through them and into the person by which they lay hands on we're going again ben this is so simple we get it because we have to understand the dynamic that that the kingdom of god is right here this morning when we were worshiping the kingdom of god was in our midst it didn't look like how we think it should look like because we we are limited by our our understanding but God is saying I am there with you in your midst and who I am the boundaries that I've put in place the rule and reign that I've put in place is right there in your midst a side note on this I think Brad's preached a lot from here as well. I heard him say it as well, but Mike and, and he used to call it, there's, this, there's a tension, there's a truth in tension, right? Because then you can say, well, Ben, but I've read about what heaven looks like and this anticipation that they all held to get to that place. Yes, there is a place to come. There is a new heaven and a new earth that will be given. There is a place where there is no pain and no suffering. There is that place and we will get to come into that place because it's a kingdom that is now and also not yet. It's a kingdom that's now and not yet. That's the beautiful thing about God, is that God gives us a position to say, hey, that place you're going to be in, I'm going to give you access to it now. That place you're going to stand in where there is no pain, no suffering, no heartache, no hurt, I'm going to give you access to it now. So in a way, I heard someone preach it and say, it's like Jesus handing you an open credit card. 
and going, here's access to your inheritance that you pull from that is to come. Here's my authority when I died on the cross and you came into me. You were given my authority so that they will know you by my name. They will know who you are by who I am. Here's the authority. Now go and spend it where I need you to spend it. But what a lot of us do is we take the card, we put it in our nightstand and we close the drawer. And we never ever draw on what God's given us to say, God, your kingdom is now. Your kingdom is now. I had a phone call during the week with some stuff that we're dealing through and it was I knew it was going to be a difficult phone call and I, I, I closed the door and I said, God, let me operate from your kingdom. Let me operate from who you are. Let me stand in a place that you said that I could stand on as a son in your authority. Let me draw on your kingdom because I needed wisdom beyond what I carried. And when I went onto the phone call, things... I, things started coming out of my mouth where I was like, how's this guy, hey? Because I was able to draw on the wisdom of heaven. I was able to draw on the kingdom of God because God says, I've given you an authority through my name and I want you to access that authority. You're not waiting to get there. The kingdom has come. It's in your midst. Repent. 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 Change your mind. Change the way you see things and then believe that you can access who I am. See, it starts with changing our mind. It starts with reshifting the way that we normally see it and going, God, uh, uh, these things in front of me or that thing's in front of me. I don't have, I don't have. Jesus says, repent, change your mind and then believe and access the kingdom that is in your hand. That's the place that we come from. That's the place that we can bring ourselves into. But there's a, there's a problem with this. I'm as dry as a Roman sandal, I tell you. I think it was all that yelling during worship. It just got me. Sorry. No, it's okay. Thank you. There's a problem with this. I left you on a cliffhanger. There's a problem with this. Often, often, we choose to operate out of another kingdom. Often, we choose to use a different card that has a ton of interest on it. When we step into a situation, we get the option, which kingdom are you going to operate from? Which place are you going to draw your authority from? Which card are you going to use? The one that's empty, that has no interest, that you can operate from whenever you want, or this one that's got a ton of interest and I'm going to remember everything you do. I'm going to, I'm going to call upon everything you do. There's a thing called cause and effect. That when I do something, something else takes place. When I act like a goose, there's a goose ripple effect. I want to trademark that if I can. And I get a little Instagram quote. When I act like a goose, there's a goose ripple effect. Right? Sometimes you're with people and they say, you know, uh, Satan's really ripping apart my finances. And then they've got the brand new iPhone, the slick shoes, the nice car. And you start going, hey, Satan's not ripping apart your finances. You're ripping apart your finances. And then we come back before God and go, God, fix it. God, fix it. We get on our knees. We pray like we've never, ever prayed before. And God's going, you acted out of a kingdom that now has a consequence. I've forgiven you. I love you. 
but you have to now deal with, and I'll deal with it with you, but you now have to deal with the consequences of the kingdom by which you acted out of. So when we begin to act out of the kingdom of righteousness, the kingdom of God, guess what? There's godly consequences. There's godly ripple effects. So when we act out of Jesus, there's Jesus ripple effects. But when we act out of, out of a, an unearthly kingdom, there's, an, there's a worldly ripple effect that sometimes goes further than we realize. And I've heard of people 10, 15 years on having people come to them and say, you did something, you hurt me, you, you this or you that. Your actions caused effects beyond what you understand. So when Jesus says, sorry, sorry when, when, when Psalm says, come before me with clean hands and pure hearts, he's saying, because I want you to operate in righteousness because I want your ripple effects to be righteous. I want the kingdom of God to echo every time you speak. And at times it's so hard because at times we get caught in our tiredness, in our frustration, in our pain. And, I, and for, this happens for me too when I, I don't even realize and I do something and then all of a sudden there's a ripple, there's a ripple, there's a ripple. And now I have a mess bigger than I know how to clean. And I go, God, I, I never meant for that. And he says, my son, you stepped out of my kingdom. You operated, as James says, from wisdom from below, not from wisdom that was from above. Everything we do in our relationships, in our marriages, in our parenting, we're saying, God, what is the wisdom from above that you are speaking? Because I want the ripple effects. I want the fruit to be righteous. I want the fruit to be from your kingdom. I want the ripples to go, that go beyond what we know, that go from generation into generation into generation to be righteousness. I was speaking to someone during the week and they were talking about why, why as a people, as God's people, can we not understand, a healthy understanding of the fear of the Lord. And my theory on that, and I might be wrong, I'm happy to be wrong in that, but my theory is that there has been a ripple effect of an overreach of grace that has rippled through God's people. That what started as a good intention might not been, have been a God intention. It might have been wisdom from below, but not wisdom from above. So there was this ripple of grace that you can't do. That's works, that's works, that's works. God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And he does, but we got to this place that now when a preacher stands up and says, please fall on your face before him in a reverential fear of his holiness, we go, that's not my God. My God lets me do whatever I want. My God says he'll love me for whatever I want. He will love you for whatever, whenever you mess up. He will love you when you get it wrong. He will love you. But the thing is, is that we create this ripple effect. We create this unrighteousness chain that follows us all the way that goes, we could have fixed it all the way back at the start. Does that mean now that I can never stop it? No, because Jesus is bigger than that. And Jesus can break the ties. He can cut off the hooks that have bound us. He can stop us from living in that, that awful cause and effect. But at some time, we've got to wise up and say, Jesus, how do I live in your righteousness? How do I live in who you are? Psalm 6, 12 says, let not sin, sorry, Yeah, let's go to Psalms. If you've got a Bible with you, go to Psalm 6. 
Psalm, uh, sorry, sorry. Good pick, Ansky. Romans 6. Romans 6. I want to show you something. Romans 6, verse 12. During the week, during prayer, I, I was just asking God, you know, what, where, where do we go? How do, how do we help people? And I heard in my spirit God reveal this verse. And I thought it was for the prayer meeting, so I flipped it open and I read it and I was like, well, that's not, can't be for the prayer meeting. I think God's asking for something deeper in this. So as I went and spent some time in prayer and just mulling over this verse, God revealed something that I hadn't seen in a, in a while. It's not something we've spoken about, I think, in the church for a while. Maybe some have. I just haven't seen it in my spheres. That's not to say that I know every church leader's preaching. I'm not all saying that. Romans 6, 12, it says this, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. I always struggled with this in the Christian sphere, even growing up as a child. It never ever made sense to me that we would preach to somebody and to, when we get them saved and we would say, when you enter into the kingdom of God, when you get saved, God remembers your sins no more. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west. Now that's encouraging. Fantastic. The Bible, God says he remembers my sins no more. But then once we come into the church, one of the first things we get told is don't go on sinning. And you're like, hang on. When I came in, you said that God doesn't remember my sins as far as the east is from the west. Now that I'm in, you've told me I can't go on sinning. I don't understand. And it's kind of like we, we never really dealt with it. We never really taught people why those things can both be true. We never really explained why those things are absolute truth. We just kind of went, it's just what we do. God doesn't remember your sins. P.S. Don't go on sinning. So we get this kind of confused like, I am forgiven. God loves me, forgave me. He's not remembering any of my sins. But then I, create, I, I, I sin again and we get confused. And then we go, well, does he remember that one? And then we get told that when we get to the pearly gates, when we get to heaven, God's going to recount all of our sins. And we're going to have to answer, you know, like when you used to, if you like pinched five bucks out of someone's purse, like your mum's or your grandmother's purse, and then they were like, you're going to have to answer for God, to God for that. And you're like, but hang on a moment. That doesn't make sense when you said that Jesus forgets my sins as far as the east is from the west. Now I have to stand before Jesus and explain why I pinched five bucks out of Grandma Mark's wallet and, and that, that, that's something we've, we've, we've grown up with. So now we get this confused generation of people going, I can't, he doesn't remember my sins, but I shouldn't sin. And then we get this verse where it says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of righteousness. See, Paul's saying, don't go on sinning. So then we get caught in this weird understanding of legalism again where we bring back in the old wineskin. Where we go and we get the law wineskin, we bring it back in and we go, okay, now I'm going to fulfill this. I'm going to go back to listening to this first and I'm not going to sin. And then we wonder why people get confused and lost and hurt 
and then they walk away and they go, God never loved me to begin with. So what started as this open-ended, God loves everything, he loves you in all things, ends in this small snippet of God never really loved me to begin with. That's the brokenness that we have. That's where my heart is grieved to say, God, how do we bring this back? How do we get people to understand a a reverential fear of you, but also understand that you love us no matter how bad we've been or how bad we are? Let not sin, this word sin here, the very first one that we see, verse 12, let not sin. The word there is the word hamartia. And it's, it's the Greek word 266, if you're a strong Greek word person. The word hamartia, and it means to miss the mark. This is the sin that Adam and Eve entered into in the garden. They missed the mark of who God was. They took of the fruit. They didn't listen. They didn't trust. They didn't believe that his words were true. That's what it means to miss the mark. Those who are outside of God and are out in the world acting in what we would call sin, they are out there in hamartia. They are missing the mark of God. Does that make sense? That's the first point. Let not sin rule and reign in your mortal mortal body. This is a nature of sin. This is the sin that was passed down from the line of Adam to us. That's why Jesus comes and he says, I am the second, sorry, I am the the last Adam. He came to replace the bloodline. That's why as Christians, when we get saved, we get born again because we go into the waters of baptism, into death in Christ and out alive with him. Why? Because it replaces our bloodline so we are no longer caught in the line of sin that Adam and Eve passed down. Does that make sense? Anyone lost? So now we have a sin bloodline, a, a, a line that carries with it sin. That's why when, when Jesus comes, he comes of the virgin birth because there was no seed of man. The sin bloodline wasn't passed through into Mary. Holy Spirit, the new bloodline, was given to Mary. That's why there's a virgin birth. That's why Christ comes without the seed of man, without sin in his body. That's why we get born again. So do not let sin, hamartia, rule your body. Then it goes on to say, do not present, sorry, to make you obey its passions. Because sin, sin, hamati, the, 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 the life that we live in sin, we often get caught in things we don't want to do. Who's ever had that? You realize you're in a mess, you're in something broken, but then you're going, this is not bad, this is not good for me, I don't like this, but yet we do it again and again and again, because in that old life, it was a passion that we were forced into. Do not present your members to sin. So we see the same word, sin used twice in this verse. But this second word for sin, this is the word um, adikia, and it means unrighteous, wrongdoing. So do not present your members to adikia. So in, in the English, we see the same word sin twice, but in the Greek, we see completely different words. So when it says, do not present yourself to sin, hamartia, and do not let yourself be ruled by sin, it's a completely different word. But yet in the English, we don't know how to differentiate it, so we just use the same word. So what this is saying is let not sin, the bloodline of sin, rule in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. 
Remove yourself. Get saved. Remove yourself out of that bloodline. The first thing Paul here is talking about is salvation. He's saying remove yourself from the the bloodline of sin and come in to the new bloodline. Come in with Christ. But then once you're in that place, he then says, do not present your members. Do not give yourself. I get to choose where I give myself. Do not give yourself over to sin or unrighteousness. So once I get saved in the new bloodline, once I come into Christ, I then have this option to operate from one kingdom or the other and I get to reap of the fruit that gets sown into that. Does that make sense? So we actually get to choose in this that once we get saved, once our bloodline gets gets refreshed, we get put into Christ, we get saved, locked away in heaven. We're no longer talking about salvation. Because then Paul goes on to say, but now you get to decide, do you want to operate from that place of salvation or do you want to operate in that place of adika or sin? It says, do not present your members as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So now that we have been saved, We have to present ourselves to God as an instrument for righteousness. God is now asking us as Christians, as people, to be used by Him to see our righteousness be given out in the world. So when I step into my grocery store, when I step into my mission field, when I go to India, when I go to Africa, when I go down the street to get my mail, all of those things, God is saying, I want to use you as an instrument for righteousness. I want to use you in a position where I can, as a tool, see others be brought into my kingdom. So that now puts the challenge back on us for God to say, I want to use you. I want to see you bring my kingdom to those who have never seen it, to those who are being ruled by sin out in the world, to those who are being ruled by hamartia. I want to use you to bring them in. But if we won't offer ourselves to him as a tool for righteousness, it says that we offer ourselves as instruments for unrighteousness. So when you're operating in a place of unrighteousness, you are helping the enemy operate in more unrighteousness because the ripple effect of what you're doing is going out and out and out into further generations. So now as a people of God, God's saying, can I use you for more righteousness? Can I increase the level of righteousness? Does that make sense? Yes. You can say no and I will re-explain. No, we just want coffee. No. (laughs) This is so important because this is the difference between justification and sanctification. Two big words. One meaning you have been saved. One meaning I want to use you to see my things fulfilled. It's it's a massive thing that I I was going to touch on this morning, but I, I didn't want to go too deep or or bore us with that. But it's saying that when we bring ourselves into God, when you bring yourself into God, you let him reign in your life, that's justification, that's salvation. God, you are now my king. But then we have this next step that a lot of us never take, the next step that once in that place, you present yourselves how you ought to be presented without unrighteousness in your life. That's sanctification. Clean hands and pure hearts to see the ripple effect of righteousness go out into all the land. Do not present yourself. Paul ends by saying this. He ends this verse by saying, for sin... That word again is hamartia, the first one we saw. 
for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Once we come in to Christ, sin, hamartia, never has a dominion over because you've removed the bloodline, you've come into him, you've come into that fresh new life with Christ. That's the beautiful thing of salvation. Now we're in, we have to operate in this place. I'm almost finished. I'm going to finish with Psalms 24. Maybe. No, I will. No, I won't. I don't know. Psalm 24, we're there. A Psalm of David, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall go up in the presence of God? Who shall be face to face with God, operating who he is? And who shall stand in his holy place? Who is able to be holy ground? Who is able to see the fullness of his holiness go out into all the land? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is a generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God, of Jacob, who will be able to operate as a, um, as a righteousness forwarder, those who operate in righteousness. So now that we have been brought into the grace of God, now that we have been given freedom, the bloodline's been cleansed, we've been brought in, saved by Him, saved by the grace, now to operate from His kingdom, like I said before, and watch His kingdom ripple effect, it's those who come with clean hands and pure hearts, righteousness, who seek His face. Does that make sense? So we now position ourselves in a place of righteousness to watch the ripple effect into generations be righteousness, to watch the ripple effect of generations who know God and who seek, sought his face. I am going to finish with one more verse, John 7, verse 17. It says this, If anyone's will is to do God's will, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees when the Pharisees say to him, how do we know you are God? He says, anyone who does the will of God will know who I am, will know that I am the Messiah. Anyone who does the things that God's asked him to do will know the will of the Father. How do we get to know God more? We start by operating in the things he's asked us to operate. We start by living a life he's asked us to live, to move in the things that he's asked us to move into, to, to be in the places that he's asked us to be. Righteousness will beget more righteousness. Unrighteousness will beget more unrighteousness. Is that, is that okay? Does that make sense? Okay, I wanna, I'm going to finish. We're going to go have coffee. We're going to have snacks. I was going to put you all in a very awkward position, but I'm not going to do that because I'm going to ask you to do it. And if you don't, we will go back to awkwardness next week. I was challenged during the week because someone said to me, I don't think many Christians know the importance of Jesus. Someone said that to me. And I thought, wow, that's challenging. I don't think many Christians, the word Christian to mean followers of Christ, know much about Jesus. And that got me thinking a little bit. So I want to do a little experiment, and I've been doing this with myself. 
when we go and have coffee and we have snacks and you're talking with somebody, I want to challenge you. Ask the person, and if you both are asking, then you'll both get to give an answer. Ask the person, who is Jesus to you? And what does his cross mean to you? Who is Jesus to you? And what does his cross mean to you? Now, I was going to make you all stand up, get a partner that you didn't know, and then force this conversation. But I'm not going to do that. But I want to challenge you. Who is Jesus to you? And what does his cross mean to you? You Let me just quickly wrestle this. You don't have to be an evangelist to answer this. When someone asks me about drums, I don't have to prepare a sermon to tell you what drumsticks I like, what kid I like, because it's in me. It's been in me my whole life. So I know the answer to those things. I know, I know what sticks. I know what ones I don't like. I know what you should use. I know what you shouldn't buy. I don't have to prepare it. That's how Christ should be for us. You're not going to get time to prepare a speech when that one friend says to you, hey, who is that Jesus? Who is this? Okay, let's stand. I'm going to pray. There's snacks, coffee. Um, pay what you like for coffee if you, if you, I don't know what I was going to say. I feel like I, I, did everyone get something this morning? Please don't just nod. If you didn't get anything, then I want to know. Please. Not because I want to feel, I just, there's no good me, me, me preaching from this, from this barrel if we all just sit here and smile and nod and wave and then we go on our way and we didn't learn or grow anything. Okay. All right, if you've got any questions, we'll come to the front. We're going to wrestle through some stuff. I like it. It's good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do in our lives. Jesus, help us on this journey. Lord, help us to live righteous lives. Help us to live desired for you, excited and keen for you, Lord. We, we want to know you more. Jesus, help us to make you king in our life. In all areas, help us to put you as king above those areas, Lord. We love you. We honor you. Jesus, we declare your kingship in this house and we declare your kingship in this city and we declare your kingship in this nation. You rule and reign. We love you and we honor you. And in your name we pray. Amen.